0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm joined by, actually, this is kind of a stretch guest for me. Paul Watkins is on the program. How you doing, Paul?
1: Morning. How am I? Well, afternoon for you. How am I? A stretch guest, like.
0: <laughs> Not very often do I encounter somebody on the plat- on the LinkedIn platform, where I go, "This guy's got a really good message," and he's, I mean, you've done a lot of things, right? Your background's kind of like there's people that have a bucket list. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my first marathon, right? Your bucket list is more like a five gallon drum list. Like it's a big <laughs> list of things <laughs> you've done. It's crazy. But I like how you've taken your adventures and, and driven it into a theme. There's a lot there's a big intellectual component to what you do. You're obviously very well read, very well researched, and how you apply that into the physical side of your life, I don't think a lot of people understand how those correlate. Mm-hmm. So I understand a little bit, but I've never seen it quite at this extreme level.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. I don't think it's extreme, but I every now and then I do sit back and and kind of reflect. When I post up things about what I've done or pictures or what have you, and I reflect and go, "My God, I really have done quite a lot so far." Like, and it wasn't it wasn't due to a grand plan. Like I never set out and said, "I'm going to get this done. I'm going to do these things." All of it, sheerly has been through almost curiosity. Can I do that? I don't know. What's through that door? I don't know. And just following my nose, career wise, adventure wise, business wise, all those things have simply been just. Following opportunity and going, what's next? What's next? Can I do that? I don't know. How do I find out? Will you try and and see what happens? And that's led me to
0: accumulate just things that I never dreamed I would ever accumulate. Well, there are you know, there's one of my former guests wrote a book called Deliberate Discomfort. He's a former special ops guy, and he's fantastic. And I read the book and said, you got to be on the program because there are people who are just not comfortable putting themselves in places of discomfort. That's what you've done.
1: I've often questioned myself when I'm in the discomfort. There's been plenty of times when you're like, what are you doing? Like you knew this is how this is going to feel. Like when you're, when you're deep in in the suck, you kind of like, what, why why are we doing this? Or the alarm goes off because you got to go hit the trails at four o'clock in the morning or whatever it is to get sure. something done before the kids are up or whatever. You. you do question some of your choices. But, but having that mindset that it's just discomfort, like it's not – well, sometimes it's painful, but, you know, it's not life-threatening. It's not. You know, it's an opportunity and it's a good reminder every now and then that you actually have the opportunity to do that. Like, yeah, the alarm goes off and you've got to get up early and do what have you, but you can, like you get to do that. So it's often a reminder for me to go, you know, this race is hard or this, this climb is difficult or what have you, but you're here of your own free will and you have the means and the opportunity to do it. You have zero to complain about, like zero compared to, Huge
0: swaths of the rest of the you know population, so it's a good reset. Yeah, so many of us don't realize. I think a couple things there. One, life is full of opportunities, not only mm. to challenge your mind but your body, and then to see you've seen some places in the world most people read about or dream about or seen in a movie. Yeah, right, I so- still remember
1: the very first time I went to um, Kathmandu to Nepal, and it was the first time I'd been to like a a place that was really. You know, third world when i got out of town and those kind of places and it really was quite a shock i was quite young at the time now uh, just to go the rest of the world doesn't look like your place like the rest of the world doesn't look like you so it was a, a real a shock to begin with but it set up a, a behavior that i've kept to this day whenever i go somewhere that i haven't been before the first thing i do is like get off the plane drop the bags at the hotel and get outside and walk for you know a couple of hours just get out and and go Clears a jet lag, but just allows you to get out and kind of soak in the sounds and the sights and the smells and just really
0: center yourself wherever you are. And I found that to be really, really good. I don't disagree. Most of the places I've traveled through Europe and Asia, I want to go where the locals go. Yeah, yeah. Like where would where would you eat if you had if you were going mm-hmm. to dinner with your family tonight? Yeah, and they're very willing to show you those places. And I'm and more often extremely generous and gracious and welcoming to their homes and their pubs and their restaurants. And yeah. And uh, offer you the local food. So, we have to figure out how this all started, Paul. Right? You, like you said, you got a wife, you've got two kids. You didn't wake up one morning and say, "I'm going to climb a mountain in Nepal," and then no. I'm going to go do this horse led race in the <laughs> Arctic. I mean, at what point in your life was it through an example of a parent or a friend, or you read a how did how did you become inspired to do these things?
1: Now, when you look at my background, I know a lot of people would like to have a defined answer of, "Oh, my parents were adventurers, and you know, I spent my childhood barefoot in the wilderness, or anything like that." And none of that's true. I had a very stock standard upbringing to the point of it being, you know, almost boring. Like nuclear family: mum, dad, two kids. Mum stayed at home. Dad worked. We had a wonderful upbringing. You know, went to good schools. Absolutely stock standard normal. I'm not an athlete. I have no athletic background at all. I went through high school as like the least athletic person there. Like I, I was good at chemistry, maths, debate, chess, theater, like all the things that scream this person will never do anything athletic in their life. And I got into some of this adventurous stuff as an exit for work like I ended up in business I'm a pharmacist by trade originally but I was an okay pharmacist but I was a very good business person so I ended up running owning building big businesses and that got me to a point where I kind of spent mid-20s to mid-30s I often say I worked the equivalent of like 20 years in 10 years I just worked full-time like if there was a minute available i worked at my own businesses and i ran them like 24 365 but i did that and reached a point where i literally woke up in hospital one day and like just i would worked myself to complete and utter destruction and the doctors are like well it's taken us a few days but we've figured out what's wrong with you you just need to slow down like that's what's wrong with you it's a, it's enough and you you have that realization of if you die with the most money, you don 't win you don 't get a medal, someone will go, he worked really hard. Can we find another one, please and they 'll all move on so as a reflection on that i I went out and said i 've got to get away and just buy myself some mental space and emotional space to recalibrate and understand what are you going to do like you can 't do this forever like this is is this it? Do you just do this for the next three decades and then try and sure. do all the stuff you want to do?" So I went out and did something very, very basic. I started just, okay, I'll go for a little run during my lunch break. And then, okay, well, I'm going to go for a longer run on the weekend. and Then then you do a half marathon. And then I went and did a really, really basic, basic trek in Nepal. And you realize that you feel like a very different human when you allow yourself to go out and have some of those experiences. And so I kind of iterated up. I did the Kokoda Track, which is a famous jungle track in New Guinea, just off the northern coast of Australia, and loved that and came back and went, you know what? I have no intention or desire to die at work. I'm going to sell up and take a huge left turn in my entire career. And I okay. did that. I, I kept the buildings, the freeholds of the buildings, the businesses, and then sold the businesses and actually went and learned a, a trade. Just got on the tools for a couple of years, learning how to, to renovate and semi me work as a chippy. And okay. then followed the adventure thing. Going That made me feel really good. What's next? What could I do next? What's, what, I, I climbed that or did that trek. What's kind of the next step up from that? And just iterated it with no great plan other than what is the next step and how many doors does that open? And then just went through that door to see what was behind it. And that kind of led to a, a series of events that allowed me to build a really unique set of skills that opened a whole vast bunch of doors. And then it's a case of, well, pick a door, What's going to do some stuff.
0: Now, when you think of all the things, all of the, the treks, the trips, the climbs, the hikes that you've done, if you're sitting in front of someone who's never contemplated anything like this, and I like the backstory about how you know i kind i came from a very normal upbringing, mm. very solid family, but this evolved yep. how do you help someone start that path to evolution to me, you kind of had a uh, a life changing moment right this is why i wanted this is there's I knew there was an eating crow moment somewhere in here, right. Mm. You worked your bone to death, woke up in the hospital and someone said, hey, you're doing this the wrong way. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Right. And I think for a lot of people, I, I share with them visually I've, um, that Kakoda track that I've mentioned, I've done that twice. And the, the two times are 10 years apart. And when you look a photo of me doing it the first time, I'm a dumpster fire. Like I look like I've got no idea what I'm doing. I'm not in good shape. Like The sweat's pouring off me. I had a porter help me carry my bag. Like I just, it wasn't great. it got done. But 10 years later, I look like a very different person, very fit, carried on a big pack, looked like I'm having a ball, took a couple of mates, all those kind of things. And the lesson I try and share with that is that that is a finished product. And if you just look at that photo from the second time I did it, it's very easy to tell yourself a story that's completely and utterly wrong. Oh, Paul, I'd love to go do something like that. But I look at that guy and he's fit. It's a big backpack and he looks like he's enjoying it. Yeah, that guy looks like that because he spent 10 years being absolutely rubbish at it. It's a finished product and you're a work in progress. And that's the point. Don't tell yourself a story that's wrong based on someone else's snapshot, static, finished product. Understand the backstory. Like I literally, the first thing I did was try and run five kilometres because I was overweight, I was unhealthy, you know, diet was a disgrace. I was just, I was not good at any of this. So we start really, really small, and then you just iterate up from there. And at some point, you'll find an exit ramp that works for you, and that's okay. And I'm still iterating, and that's okay. But it really is that point of showing people that you don't have to have a genetic gift or background or, or whatever it is. You start where you start. You're a work in
0: progress, and you tell yourself a better story as you go. Now, you've got obviously you've got a wife. You mentioned is a principal at a primary school. Two boys at five and eight. Is that right? Yep. Five and nine. Yeah. When they see you, and and one of your posts, which was fantastic, is you laid all of your gear out. Yep. I think the image, a thousand words, right? A picture's worth a thousand words. That image alone showed the complexity of the race you were about to do. Mm -hmm. It also showed because of every single component that you packed was there for a reason, right? For safety, for performance, or for survival. So there's so much that goes into this mentally. Mm. I think a lot of people would punt right there. Like if I've got to bring all this stuff, <laughs> there's a lot of ways something bad could happen. Yeah. <laughs> so my question is, as you're laying this out and you pack this and your kids who are fairly young, look at mm. this, how do they process that? I mean, what are they thinking? What? Do you, how are you explaining this to them? What part of the journey are they on with you? It's been really interesting. And something came up this week, like literally this week, which really, really surprised me.
1: So, obviously i was mountain climbing and racing before they were born so they've kind of grown right. up in that and and have an understanding that dad does these things mm-hmm. but the type and scale of things that i do and the regularity with which i do them has changed as my life has changed as you get married and as you have kids True. because your your risk reward profile changes and you have an understanding you're playing with chips that aren't all yours and you have some responsibilities yeah. And you need to respect the relationships that exist on that side of your ledger as
0: well. Well said.
1: So the things I like, I I think my kids are young, that young that they don't quite comprehend the scale and the detail of what I'm doing. I love the fact that they understand that Dad has a physical practice every day. It's normal to get sweaty and exercise every single day, and that's a normal behaviour. Like that saying, you know, normal is whatever you tell your kids it is. It's whatever they see as normal. And our kids go, oh, yeah, we do exercise every day. So if I'm in the gym, they're normally hanging off a bike or they've got a ski erg or they're hanging off the roll or they're doing something in there, doing their thing or what have you. But my eight-year-old Campbell said to me literally this week just out of nowhere, he said, Are those big races that you do, Dad, are you proud of those? Which I thought was a really deep question for an just, you know, sure in, in between like, oh, I've got this new Pokemon card and can I watch a show when I get home? And are you <laughs> proud of doing your race? It was, I don't know, How was did it you was, respond? I said, I'm proud of the work that I do and it makes me feel good. Like I'm, I'm proud of the effort that I put in. Like we try and separate the pride as such yep. from the result and the effort. What did he tell me the other day? Same thing. He, he he achieved something in a game he's playing. And he said, are you proud of me, Dad? And I said, no, I'm not proud of you for getting that. That's just a game and it's just a thing. But I'm proud of the fact that you worked really hard at it for weeks to get it. That's what I'm proud of. So we try and separate the outcome because you don't always get the outcome. You don't always summit. You don't always get the finish or what have you. But to get them to understand that I'm really proud of the effort and the work that you put in because that's where all the value lies. So as I get older, I hope, or as they get older, I hope, that's what they pull out of what I've done versus oh dad summited that or or won that
0: race or finished that or whatever it is. It's trying to separate the effort from the result. So I mean that right there is a TED talk. And I know you've done some TEDx <laughs> talks. But a lot of my podcasts, a lot of my posts are about parenting. It's it's mm. I've done really poorly in some things in my life. I've done okay in some areas being a dad was something i took serious from day one and i I've, I've been all in on it right so not not perfect but it's an area where i look back and go i've got amazing kids you know I, i'm i'm blessed and that starts when they're younger yep and it starts primarily with your actions way more than your words
1: mm-hmm.
0: right being your a parent terrifies see. me it
1: absolutely terrifies me like i'll hang off to the, <laughs> the biggest mountain you got that's fine but i'm like being a parent scares the daylight out of me because you just yeah. that's the thing like i can't screw that up <laughs> Really, <laughs> that's and it's tw- you're right it's 24 7 and it's not just when you're dealing with them you realize that they're re- they're you know recording you 24 7 and everything you say and your interaction with everyone else when they're near you they're on the whole time so that and look I'm very very fortunate in that because my wife works and I, I play the role of stay-at-home dad I, I do the drop-offs and pack the lunches and the pickups and the, the sport days and that because i I'm able to do that, which I love. But it's also a responsibility to do that and and guide them and direct them, but you want them to be their own person. So it's that real juxtaposition of I know what the real world's like. I know what gaps and things we need to fill and and how I want to hone you guys, but I also don't want to be that parent that's trying to fit you into a particular mold because I think that's right for you because I'll get it wrong. So how do I... Can I get you right, but not overcook it, but not undercook it? And it's—I
0: don't know. Like we're still way early in the journey, so stay tuned. Well, I've uh, all mine are up and out of the house. I've got a grandson, so we've—we've got some. You're through. You made it. We made it through. We made it through the gauntlet. (laughs) My kids apparently still like to hang out with us, which is great. But you know, all three of them are very different. Mm. In you know, one of my eating crow moments. What partly what inspired the podcast is I was trying to communicate with my oldest son, who's the second, he's the middle child, the way I would have expected to be communicated to by my dad or I thought it was a template. Like you just did that. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And it wasn't registering. <laughs> right. It didn't mean I changed the rules or the boundaries or the guidelines or the standards at all. Mm. It just meant he's not responding to this, this communication. And that's on me. He's 14 years old. He doesn't have a communication style. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a second child, man. They get you every time. Yeah, especially when they slam him in the middle, right? Classic, you know? <laughs> I said to my wife, you know, after one particular conversation with her, I said, like, I just, I don't feel like I'm reaching him in and I've got to figure out how to do that. Mm. And I really looked inward and said, all right, I got I to gotta do this. And boy, I'll tell you, what a game changer. And we, it, we we, had a good relationship. It just, I knew we were at, we were at a point where it could have gone in a different direction. Yeah. And that's with and, a good foundation already. Like Correct. Absolutely. I, I we did have a good foundation. There was mm. no my kids, I'm very blessed. If I if I told you the four stories I have of my children where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I would have done that, right? You know, like <laughs> people would laugh and go, Really, that's it? You know. And I'm sure there's a lot mm. I don't know. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but uh you know, you're right. You you want them to be who they are, but I think it's very important as as parents. To make sure that whatever morals, values, or ethics that you believe are important are instilled in them, and then they make their own choices. Yeah. But if you don't give them the foundation, then you've really set them up not. There's no way they can make the right choice if you no, haven't given them no, the foundation.
1: No. I don't forget that people are like you know my mom's like, "What are you going to do if Campbell wants to climb Everest?" I'll probably carry his bags. Yeah. But what if he doesn't want to do it? I don't care. I, I don't care if they never do anything of the yeah. scale or style that I've done in my life at all. I just want them to make their own decisions and have the skill of making great decisions. That's all I want. Like Then they can choose and do whatever they like. But if I can embed, like you said, if I can give them the frameworks and then let them navigate from there, I'm – i stoked with that. That's okay. tick. I'm happy with that. Versus oh, I really hope they turn out to be a doctor. Like I just want you to make the best decisions you can for you and be equipped with the mental and emotional tools to deal with all
0: of that. If I can get that right, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. I think the, the principles we try to instill in our kids is whatever you decided to do, whether it was an individual sport or debate or violin or piano or whatever it would be, recognize that in, in some of the situations, other people we de- will be depending on you. Hmm. Yeah. If you're on a team, right, you go to practice, you work hard, you show up, you try in the games because your team's depending on you. The yeah. only time you will hear from me after a game any utter of disappointment is not if you didn't score a goal or make the most baskets. If you didn't try, you'll hear about it from me. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And that might not mean it, maybe that's not your thing. Let's go find your thing. Hmm. But, yeah, You've you've got to try. You've got to treat your coaches with respect, your teammates with respect, because that's how the real world works. Mm. And you know, and I think you're right. I, I my kid came to me and said, "Geez, I want to." You know, my oldest son is doing you know Mer- is doing Ironman now, in triathlons. And mm. and I'm you know we were at his first race, and I'm a triathlete. Yeah. It was hard for me to watch a race and not be in a race, but you know, <laughs> and it's <laughs> he got done with that first one. was like, well, that's a lot longer than I remember. <laughs> it's slightly different. I think the yeah. coach thing is really important though for
1: them to understand yeah. that there is someone in that position that you need to listen to and they're not there to be your friend, like they're to, there to be the coach. I know I got the boys into basketball a while ago and I'd, I'd heard that a lot of parents had complained about the coach and I went there and watched the coach and I'm like, I love this guy. He's just, he takes no crap. He's very clear in his directions and all his parents didn't like it. I'm like, this guy is Brilliant! Like he's just being a stern coach. He has really clear guidelines. He doesn't accept behaviour that's outside the boundaries, but he's fair and equitable. You know, where's the problem here? And the kids responded to it. They were great. So look, I think having a coach has been really, really good for them. Team sports was something we really got into early, and much and all as I say, I want them to make their own decisions. I may have tipped the scales a little bit in, we've got them into jujitsu this year. I may have cherry picked some really good videos to sell the dream a bit, but I knew that it was a skill sure. that I wanted them to have. So, and, they've got
0: it, and they're loving it. It's been really good for them too. Well, let's pivot a bit from the experiences you've gathered. You've started a couple of businesses. You're, like you said, you're a pharmacist by training. So intellectually, you've got the ability to capture and digest a large amount of information. Then you've pushed your body to extremes in ways most people can't resonate. Now you're you're helping companies and individuals inside those organizations rethink. And I and I think you said motivations of feeling discipline to skill, ideal and skills. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Hold on. So I resonate extremely with that. I ran my own fitness company for ten years. Right. So my job was to help people get fit. Yep. And it was a very frustrating job. Been there and done that, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you ran a crossfit, Jim. And yeah. I had to, again, I had to rethink my approach because I naturally like to do these things. Mm. If it's 98 degrees and my workouts in the garage today, I go do my workout. Yeah. And I kind of relish in the pain and the discomfort. And if I'm going to do 10 of that particular, I'm going to do 10. Right. If yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get them done. Yeah. My wife likes to tell me, you're psycho. Most people don't <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> there may uh, be something to that comment. <laughs> there may be something to it, right? So, I see the things you've done and know that. And, and this is, I think, for both of us. And, and I'm not trying to put myself in your category; it's a different category. But for both of us, it's important to remember that when we walk into the room of a corporation and a company, there's a serious bell curve hmm. around the people that are there. Right? There are people on the far right side of the bell curve. Hey, Paul Watkins, coming, man! I read his, I saw his TED. I know the climbs he did, and I'm all about it. And there are people who've never heard of you and that they're like, I couldn't even imagine, nor do I want to. I don't like that. Yeah. Yet your message is to try to inspire them where they are mm. to be a better version of themselves Yeah. without scaring them to think that the only way to do that is to go climb Everest. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about how you, and by the way, I think your your recent post style where you're taking something you've read, presenting it, with kind of this look in your face, like, here it is. Mm. Do with it what you want. I thought it was interesting. I think that's a great way to pull that audience in, right? It's intellectual. It's thought-provoking. It has nothing to do with fitness mm. or adventure racing. How are people responding to your message in your keynotes and your training? How's that worked and how are you tweaking your method?
1: Yeah, it's a really good observation because I do. I'm, I'm at that fringe end of, you know, let's go run a 600 kilometer marathon. You know, I think that's a great idea. And obviously, a lot of people will go, you're an idiot. And I disconnect. What I try and do is show all the behind the scenes stuff of where it's all gone wrong. So here's my background. I'm not genetically gifted. I don't have some crazy VO2 max. Here's me in high school. Look at this guy, absolute nerd. And then. Here's this climb that I absolutely failed at and couldn't get to the summit, and here's this climb that went completely wrong, and here's this race that went wrong. What are the lessons in that? What did the toolbox end up looking like? Then I had this climb that went well and this race that went well. Why did they go that way and those went that way? And then we pull that apart and have a look at it. So what I'd really try and do is... Rather than going to go, oh, I'm going to teach this group of people how to be a better principal or better lawyers or better engineers or whatever it is. You hired humans. You didn't hire employees. You hired humans. Let's give you better humans, and then you'll get the result after that. So I can be a little higher up the scale in like when I talk about things like anti fragility. So we're moving from being fragile to being resilient, and you know resilience, the buzzword of the day. Whereas I think there's a whole conversation beyond that. Resilient is about or you survived, you can get back to where you were before. Whereas I think there's a conversation beyond that about how do you thrive in difficulty and hard times and complex situations? And that can be a tricky conversation for some people to have. So I've got to balance that with giving some people reality of here is where you are, and I've been there too, and that's really normal, and that's okay. Let's look at the tools around how you navigate some of those decisions. You can have the best wellness program in the world as a corporation. But if Paul still gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror and doesn't like what he sees, or tells himself a story that he's crap and he can't do anything, you can have all the wellness programs in the world. It's not going to change Paul's behavior. So, my job is to make Paul feel like a better human. What tools can I give him so he wakes up and goes, Yeah, I'm going to have a go at that? Or well, maybe I can do that. And suddenly that expands their mindset around behaviors and what they can do and what they can't do, performance. Now you've got a different kettle of humans that you're dealing with at work and you can drive performance versus thinking, I've got employees, how do I squeeze the employees to get a better outcome? So in a roundabout way, it really is, how do these people build better stories? How do these people realise that they're a work in progress and that normal people do abnormal things? It's not, they're all abnormal freaks. No, some of them are just normal people with you know, their mums and their dads and and what have you. Who've given themselves an opportunity to go out and try some stuff. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And yeah. that's normal. So that's try how I try and balance that ledger between you need the story because it's really cool, but it's also the vehicle to explain all the background as well. And then where do they fit into that scale?
0: So this this next question could be an entire episode, but I want to I want to <laughs> drill into it a little bit. Having walked a little bit in your shoes in front of an audience, whether it's a large group or a small group, trying to tap into that. That side, right? Mm. Do you find that people who are on the far left side of the spectrum, right? They've never contemplated any type of adventure race or any kind of a physical challenge. Mm. To get them to be, I think, as you mentioned, resilience is kind of a good first start. Hey, you got through that.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
0: you didn't think you could do that. You got through that. So let's look. Let's look at that. That's great, right? You Mm. you did something you didn't think you could do, and then moving into the thriving portion, right, which is Mm. different. Would you suggest that the first place they need to start is something physical? I think it is,
1: but I think it's not as simple as that. Like I think Okay. The physicality of something is a gateway drug to understanding the mentality behind why That's you what did I was going that going and for. your capacity yep. to do it, if that makes sense. So I think really it's I like the physical side of it because there's a whole host of things you can do that are free, that require no equipment. You don't have to be of a certain background or anything. like. Literally, you can go outside and walk your dog like, or you can go for a run or do a burpees in your backyard or whatever. You don't need anything at all, socioeconomically anything. You can, that's, a, that's accessible for everyone. And it gives yep. them a gateway to unlock some stuff upstairs to go, okay, I didn't think I'd do that, but I did that, or that was as yep. horrible as I thought it was going to be but I still did it. So I like that just as the vehicle because it's accessible and people can understand it, and most people have had to experience it in some way, shape, or form at some point.
0: Yep. When you think about that first step, when you're training a, a company, are you training a large group of individuals or is it more It varies, more on yeah. One? Okay. It varies. Now, how would you, if you're in a room with 20 people, and you can see the two or three people on the left-hand side that just aren't getting this. Do you offer the opportunity for them to meet with you one on one so you can get a little more focused with them? Or are you kind of just doing a talk and moving on to the next group? It depends on what the business wants. Like sometimes it's a case okay. of we do,
1: you're there and you do the song and dance and then you move on and the business takes from it what it does. Sure. And then sometimes it's we come out, we do presentations and then you follow up with some tools and skill building stuff post that. And the tools and skill building things are generally not or how do I become you know, more organizationally efficient or you know how do I have a better sure. to-do list? It's well, Hey, let's talk about how you guys breathe and move because we're going right. to fix some foundational stuff here and actually get you to feel better. If I can get you to understand how to sleep better, you're going to feel better right out of the gate. So when I approach businesses the a case of going, I don't want to teach Pete to be better between 9 and 5. I need to teach Pete how to be better 24-7. Because then you get buy-in. It's, oh, Paul's here to tell us to be better lawyers because HR want us to be better lawyers. No, Paul's here because we want Pete to feel really good about his entire life because that's when you get the return at work, not be a better employee. That's not going to help. How do you feel about yourself and your sleep and your energy and, and how your relationships are going and the story that's up here playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Let's tap into that. And then you get that buy-in because people go, oh, it's it's about me as me, not me as employee number whatever. I think that's some of the most interesting feedback I've got where you speak to, you know, the organized, the HR or the CEO, whoever it is afterwards. What was the feedback? And quite often people go, oh, the people loved it because I said it was about me. It wasn't about me, the employee. It was about me being me and how do I get better at that? And then that ticks into all the other things. It comes back to the thing. You can have all the wellness programs you want, but if if you still feel crap about yourself, you can, you can give people all the yoga sessions and yoga bars in the world. It's not going to change unless you change them. So that's where we try and tap
0: into. What's typically the biggest barrier to someone making the first move in improving who they are? What's the hardest thing for them to do to you see?
1: I think it's... I describe it as the story they tell themselves, which really is just how they structure their belief in themselves. Like how do they see themselves as an individual? And it's why I try and use a lot of humor, self-deprecating humor and failure examples when I talk to people so that they get the humor kind of drops the guard a little bit and then the stories of here's where I screwed up and here's where I was normal and here's what I learned out of that that helps people start going, okay, now I can see a little bit of myself there, not the 600 kilometer stuff, but I can see that he was unhealthy or was really self-conscious about this role or how this paid out or wow, that really didn't work for him at all. Like it was a failure and that's okay. And he's still up there talking about it. Yeah, it's okay to to screw it up because you're going to fail. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to it's it's not going to pan out the way you thought it would and that's going to happen repeatedly and that makes you normal and that's okay. That's a message I really try and hammer home, particularly with schools, with high school students, like you're going to screw it up yeah. and that's okay. That makes you normal. You've got time. This is part of the process. So let's talk about what we put in the toolkit and how you
0: pick yourself up and you learn from those things and you you move forward and go from there. I'm not sure if I answered your question then or not. <laughs> No, you did. And I think it's important to the fact that you're helping them reshape their story by letting them know, hey, you know, you may think that you're here and I'm Mm. here. But guess what? I started right next to you. Mm. Right. I mean, I started here. Yeah. And I made a couple steps forward. It ended up a couple steps back, a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. And, you know, it's important for people to recognize that, hey, when you walk your dog around the block for the first time, Mm -hmm. you've never made it around the block and you get home, how do you think you're going to feel? Mm. You probably. The feel dog's going to be stuck. <laughs> dog's going to be pretty excited, and you're going to feel pretty good. Like mm. You're not going to regret that. Nope. Right? The question is, will you get up and do it again the next day? Yeah. Right? And maybe you say, well, I made it around the block. Tomorrow, I'm going to make it around the block into the next stop sign. Right? That's how you show that increment. And now your story changes. Yeah. Your story today is, I, I've already made it around the block. Hmm. I've got that I've got that in me. Yeah. And I think the other area that I that I found some success with is 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 really tapping into guess what? If you're to your point, if you've never exercised or athletic in high school, you didn't you never really turned on, never really turned on those endorphins and those chemicals in your body. You found them in different ways, right? If you were in debate yeah. and doing other things and yeah and you're you're challenging your mind. But boy, the chemicals you release through physical exertion, it's the greatest drug in the world, right? It's literally the greatest drug in the world. Yep. And it's free. Yeah. It's, it's accessible. Free. Yeah. And and then guess what? Now your spouse sees that you did that. Yeah. And your kids see that you did that. Yeah. Yeah. And that message right there, kids love you unconditionally. Yeah. They're also rooting for you. They, they're your biggest fans. And when they see you succeed after some effort, it tells them they can too.
1: Yeah. One of the things I, when I'm talking to parents about this kind of stuff is you go, remember that you're watching your kids grow up. But your kids are watching you grow up. Like it's not like you had a child and all of a sudden you're officially an adult now. Congratulations, you've made it. It's like, no, you're still figuring it out. Like I'm forty eight. I'm still trying to figure it out. Like you're growing up just at the same pace that they or at the same time that they are. So you have to give yourself some license to learn. Like this isn't this is a continuing education role here. Like you don't go, I've got a child, I'm now a father, and and we're done. Well, no. Now the journey
0: starts. Like you're still developing, and you have to come at it with that mindset as well. Yeah, and and they mirror you, right? If you sit, oh, yeah. they sit. If you stand, yeah. they stand. If you walk, they walk. If you run, they run. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you it's hear your incredible. words coming out of their mouth, and <laughs> and they may not know why they're doing it. That's by the way. I think people forget that's kind of the point of parenting sometimes. Yeah, they don't have to understand why just yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They don't necessarily, well, dad sweats every day. I don't have to understand why yet, but it's just what you do. Yeah, we, it's just, that's normal. Yeah. It's just what you do. Yeah. Looking at all the races you've done, I love how you describe the fact that you've got different things on the other side of the ledger now, right? You've got a family, you've got kids, you've got responsibilities. How do you temper and change your the adventurous side of your brain? How are you going to eventually, when your kids become teenagers, incorporate them into that? I haven't thought about
1: incorporating them into that in that sense of going, I'm waiting to see what who they become and what they want to do and just sure. I will take that as that adventure evolves and see where that goes. And that's that's been my entire ethos right from the start. Like each adventure has been just stacked on what happened before it versus oh, I've got a nine-step plan of getting to this race. So in terms of the kids, I don't know. I may well be guided by them to a large degree of, what do they want to do and where do they want to go and, and what does that look like? For me, I guess the only concrete pre-plan is that I want to be in a condition that I can do whatever they want to do. Yes. I don't want to be the dad's like, I can't jump on a bike and and, and ride it way over there with you or go for a run with you or whatever. It's like, nah. They're like, dad, can we go for a bike ride to wherever? Yeah, cool, let's go. Yeah. Like, I want to be in that position and in that condition that I can do that. I often tell in talks like a, a very unpopular story of going, if you've got young kids and you know, you're at a Barbie and you're you're sitting in your chair and the footy goes out on the road and your child is running to get it, now is the time where all the decisions about whether you went to get up and go for a run or take care of your mobility or your sleep or all those things, the bill just came due for that right now. And one of you is gonna pay it. So when are we paying that bill? And it's not very popular, but it's true. It's like your decision of can I get out of that chair and get to that kid before he gets to that road because the guy in the car is what reading his phone. That's an accumulation of all the choices you've made up to that point, and that bill is now due. And so that always reminds me, going, hey, you're 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 paying into that that ledger today, so that at that moment where they yeah. need
0: you, you've paid that in full already, and and we're okay. I saw a video on Instagram yesterday that where that actually happened. Yeah, look, I made it up as a fictitious story just to prove a point. That exact thing happened. It's a woman, she's pulled her stroller up with her baby in it. I have seen that, and she can't it. get up to get it, can she? And she trips, mm. and the stroller rolls down the road into the expressway, not just to, re- to the expressway, Yeah, and she can't get up. Mm. And she's watching. She tries to get up, but she can't get up. And just before it happens, a guy sees it, darts out, hmm. grabs a stroller, and saves the baby. Yeah. And the message in the video is the same thing. It's like, look, you have one job. Yeah. Right? And if you don't take it seriously, at some point, that bill's going to come due for yep. either them or you. And it's set. Yeah. Now, that's an extreme situation. A lot of people go, well, that would never happen. Fine. But the metaphor is true. Hmm. And I saw a, another really interesting post that said, Physical health, musculoskeletal structure, being fit, toned, whatever, is the greatest form of expressing the fact that you can be counted on to do the hard things. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't wake up fit, right? So if you're physically fit and you walk into a room, people will make a lot of assumptions about you that are probably accurate. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that person can put in the time over a long period of time and do the hard things. Yeah, and the opposite is also true.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder how much that psychologically resonates with your kids, with the fact that they know that as a parent, mum or dad or whoever, is capable. That dad can pick that up, or he can run with us, or he, I, he can keep up with me on the bike, or you know, he can turn up to the sport day and and keep up with all the other dads or whatever it is. I wonder how much that resonates, somewhere in the back of their mind, knowing that the parent, whoever that is, is someone that I can rely on in that capacity because I've always been able to rely on them in that capacity because they've been in the shape where they can do those things. You just you don't know what buckets you're paying into that aren't your buckets at all.
0: I can tell you having my daughter's almost 30, my oldest son's 26, and my youngest one's 21. And now I'm watching my daughter and her husband, who's also very fit, and very smart, raise you know almost a, a two year old boy, and I'm watching how they live their life. And mm. I don't think there's any doubt that your kids pay attention to whether or not you're physically capable. Yeah, my dad was a, an all American wrestler, grew up in a farm, could build, change, do just about anything with it, tread yeah. with his hands, and he was always fit. Always ran when I was a kid. Always stayed in shape. My mom went the opposite direction after she became morbidly obese for thirty years. Huh. I love my mom unconditionally, mm. but I gravitated towards my dad. Yeah. And his behavior. That was that was a behavior I wanted to emulate. I did not want to emulate this. Yep. Yeah. I have two sisters who grew up in a very confused environment because you want to emulate your mom, but you couldn't, and they struggled yeah. with that. Yeah. So there's no question. I think that I think your kids, to your point, they want to know that you can play with them and their friends, that you can participate as they grow older and be athletic. But I think the area where they really, really maybe can't verbalize or understand is, is they also know you can protect them. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a huge thing. Like my dad's got this. I know I know it could be it would be taken care of. And my wife knows it. And they also, my wife is a kind of a badass too. So they know that she's <laughs> you <laughs> know. <laughs> yeah, it does help. But just the fact that they know that it's just it's what you do, right? You just, mm. you do the workout, you eat right. And that allows you to, my wife was her, her mom's caregiver for five years. Mm-hmm. And when her dad was sick, I was the only one that could lift him up and take him from the nursing home, home or anywhere because I could lift him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my kids saw that. So they just know that it enables you to do a lot of other things you can't. And by the way, I could get hit by a truck tomorrow. I could break my leg. I could hurt my back. All sorts of things can yeah. happen. Yeah. But I'm going to go back to the almost very first thing you said on the podcast, which is when you were in Nepal and you were doing your first trek and you looked around and said, I'm here because I can be mm, yeah, yeah. a lot of other people, but I have the physical capability, the mental capability and the, and the means I need to leverage that. Yeah. Or well, how dare you but waste it? Like, so what a privilege. Why that waste can it? Do that? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know, my brother in law passed away of ALS seven years ago, and and I know when I'm not kind of motivated to get up early or do the work workout or do the hard thing, I think about Jim, and I'm like, mm. he would give anything, would have given anything to do the hard thing. Yeah, yeah. So perspective is always very, very helpful.
1: Yeah, and it's a good point that people think you're you're, you're super motivated all the time. You're not like that alarm goes off. I'm not excited about it. <laughs> like, there, there's more days. The, the majority of the days where we you're doing that workout, like it's hard yards, but that's that's the behaviour and that's the discipline. So we're not running around rah-rah every day, you're you weirdos because you love doing it. I love how it makes me feel, but I don't necessarily enjoy having to to make the sacrifices to get the work done, but I know the value of the work. So that's, sure. you know, that, that pointing out, to people, you don't have to be excited about it. I'm not excited about it quite often, but I know the no. value of it and the importance
0: of it. So we do it. That's, that's the discipline. And we have to find uh, ways to enable that we can do that from a long-term perspective. I, I see yeah. all these 90-day challenges, 70-day challenges, 75 hard. I'm always like, well, what happens on day 76? Yeah, don't, don't stop me. <laughs> don't, right? don't, don't stop me. You don't have to stop. You don't have to go from zero to two workouts a day, read three books, yeah. meditate for this. Yeah. You, there's no way you can do that and be a father and a husband no. the rest of your life. No. no. So it's why not, not pick up? No, it's not. And, and my wife likes to exercise with other people. She's social like that. That's part of her. I work out at home by myself, which I love. No yeah, problem yeah. doing that. But when I was at the gym, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> it, it, I have an hour. It's, yeah. this is not social time. I'm in, I'm out and I'm not yeah. trying to be rude. I just, I'm very focused on what I want to accomplish. Yeah. And yeah. for some people that's just, that doesn't work. Right. So mm. find a buddy yeah. go for a walk or a bike or a run with them and talk and do whatever you need to do. If that's how it get you out of bed and get you motivated. Yeah, find the vehicle that works for you and then go do that, yeah. Yeah, so last question. Do you plan on coming to the States to do any kind of an event or a talk or a coaching session? What's the, has anybody asked you yet? No one's asked me yet, but you
1: never know. Like I just, right. I, again, it's that thing of going, you just chase opportunities, you open doors and you go through them and you see what happens. I don't know. I hope so. I'm sure something yeah. will come up. So they, they're the things of, you know, you leave the doors open, you create opportunities yourself, and then away you go. I often talk to people about the fact that serendipity has a surface area, and you can affect that. Like, like luck is less likely, you know, cosmic universe force than it is a thousand little decisions you made over the months and years leading up to the point where you suddenly got lucky. Like it's more likely a stack of those decisions. So I just keep working on building those decisions and those touch points to allow those doors to open to go, hey, that race is on and it, it fits the family, it fits what I want to sure. do and it works or that business opportunity is there and we can make that happen and link a few things together and away you go. You put yourself in a position where those things are more likely to happen. Actually, I've got I've got a post going up this morning talking about you don't get what you deserve, you get what is probable. So, you know, that whole thing of, oh, if you work hard, you'll get what you deserve. Well, no, not necessarily. Like there's plenty of people who work their ass off and didn't make it. It's... You get what is probable and you can affect that to a certain degree.
0: So you work on that and go from there. So answer question. Don't know. Hope so. (laughs) I'm very glad we did this because I'm going to, I was a big fan of your content and I'm going to be even bigger because I I now understand more behind the story and the motivations and and who you are as a person. And it's uh, I'm not often pleasantly surprised, (laughs) but I'm pleasantly surprised.
1: I appreciate it. Like I, I really genuinely appreciate the invite and, and I love the fact that we actually get to sit down and have a conversation yeah. like this that is free-flowing but about really important stuff. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, how do we get up and do 100 burpees? No, how, how do you be a better human and a better parent or a dad or whatever it is and how do you balance all those influences in your life? And now I, I, That's why I really enjoy these kind of conversations where you just sit down and go, open slate. Let's, let's talk about stuff and see where we go.
0: Well, I'm going to post how to reach you in the show notes and I'm going to post this on LinkedIn too when we get this edited because I think, and I'll, when I do post it, I'm going to post it in an unusual way. Normally I post a snippet. I'm going to post the episode and a link to it because I want other organizations to figure out how to get you in front of their teams. Thank you very much. Appreciate and it. And I I like the idea that we're going to help you create better humans, not just better employees. That's the goal. And it helps Great me become a better human as I go. It's good for me. Like, it's about therapy that's great well paul thanks again wonderful episode as uh far better than i could have expected to be thanks for the time we'll be following your next race and your posts and once again appreciate it thank you so much appreciate it thanks for checking out eating crow like and subscribe so you never miss a video